Uh, reminder, next week, our Yom Yerushalayim special. The following week is the holiday of Shavuos, so take it all in now because the next time we'll have a weekly update scheduled is for June the 5th. And um, make sure to tune in to our Yom Yerushalayim special next week. It's always uh, extra special, to say the least. And I thank Mayor Weingarten, who will be doing it with me uh, next week. I thank him uh, in advance. Uh, remember, our fundraiser is on. Please go to fjbunity.org if you enjoy all the segments that we bring you every single day and all the different things that happen here um, on a regular basis. And we're asking for your support. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And please continue to support our efforts this time in our 2020 fundraiser. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings at 7.40 for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Malcolm. Nice to speak with you. Tell me about the, uh, you know, I mean, you, you are one who also advocates kicking off these conversations with really good news when we can. Tell me about this presentation by the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority, a rare bronze coin from the period of the Bar Kokhba revolt. And I remind you, according to my notes here, that's around 132 of the Common Era that was discovered in the archaeological excavations in the William Davidson Archaeological Park. Tell me about this discovery. Well, it is a very exciting uh, discovery coming as it did two days before uh, Lock Bomer or a couple of days before Lock Bomer was revealed on Lock Bomer. Um, and it's the first time that a coin has been found in Yerushalayim, and on the uh, reverse side it says Yerushalayim. <laughs> it's the year two of the Revolt for Freedom, which tells you what the intent was, and it's believed that um, it was probably brought into the city by some Roman legionnaires because the, uh, the troops never reached Yerushalayim in the Bar Kokhba Revolt. And uh, you there? Hello, Malcolm. Hello? Oh, there you are. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Right. Uh, Bar Kokhba revolt, and it was found, as people know, where the Davidson Center is next to the Kotel, in excavations there. And it's um, it, that while there have been many coins from the era found, this is the first uh, one of the few times in Jerusalem. And um, and certainly with the fact that it has Yerushalayim written on it. Pretty amazing. And, and that close to Harabite, as you just mentioned, that close to the site of where the temple stood. And, you know, Malcolm, it's uh, it, what's always ama- – I mean, th- there are many amazing aspects to this type of news that you always bring us. But the 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 it, there was such a dearth, uh, there was such a gap in, uh, in, in strong – active Jewish life in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem for so long. You can go to so many different eras during the Galut, during the exile, when it was such a a weak presence of a Jewish community. Uh, It it is a true blessing that we're able to find things from, you know, from almost 2,000 years ago uh, that continue to give us uh, evidence of of the life of the Jewish people during a very, very active time for the Jewish community. That that is very right, you know, and and the rarity of this is that uh, there was one of the archaeologists who said that he examined over twenty thousand coins discovered in archaeological excavations in and around the old city in Yerushalayim, and only four of them date to the period of the Bar Kokhba revolt. 
And when you compare that a much larger number of them uh, were found outside of Yerushalayim, uh, and, and you're absolutely right, when left undisturbed so that archaeologists can really uh, examine them, and you know how many of these sites have been looted over the years, and, and uh, you know, once it's, it's disrupted and you can't then fully reconstruct what the setting was, what the life was like, etc., um, and the, you know, the hundreds of sites around Israel where excavations are going on and unbelievable things uh, are being found. So this is um, this is really a remar- one of those remarkable discoveries that uh, should inspire everybody. Yeah, and, and I and I talk about the uh, the miracle of it lasting two thousand years and being discovered. You're right; it's a miracle that it also survives the the damage that's being done to all these excavation sites and all these excavation uh, attempts. Well, we know one place now that that the Palestinian Authority is trying to take over. It's one of the the most northernmost of the. Uh, tells of the fortresses built, the eight fortresses built in, by the Maccabees, by um, in the uh dynasty. And uh, we know now that they have set up a platform around it. We know that they have tents and that it's uh, you can't see what's going on there, but we believe that there are attempts to disrupt it. They know they knocked down one of the fortress walls. It's, a, it's an amazing place. It gives you a view of the whole region. You understand why the Hashmanayim built it there. And this is um, why the concern about the protection of the sites and the rediscovery of our history, because each of these discoveries ties and further justifies the existence of the state in a way that's irrefutable. It's not propaganda. It's not, you know, a Hasbara effort or propaganda. It's in the ground. It's been there for 2,000 years, waiting to be discovered so that everybody will know who's the rightful owner. And that's the reason that the enemy is uh, always trying to destroy these these sites and these efforts. Do we have a new government in the state of Israel? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> yes, we had it for a few minutes. Uh, no, we don't have a new government yet because there's a lot of internal bickering within Likud with disgruntled members uh, and people who didn't get the portfolios they wanted or didn't like the portfolios they got. And, you know, this government, I think, will have 36 members which is an unbelievable number. So they had a you mean cabinet, cabinet ministries you mean, taking something from here and something from there. You mean cabinet members? What did I say? You I'm said, sorry. You said cabinet gov- members. Uh, and, and I think 16 deputy ministers or more. And this is, uh, aside from being an employment program, it is it is set off a very contentious debate, not on the blue and white side where he is a, a, a given out his portfolios, but within the Likud. And you had some well-known veteran people like Tachyan Egbi and Dichter who didn't get anything and who stalked off and said, they, you know, they don't want anything to do with it. Um, we haven't heard that Berkat got something. Other people and others are unhappy with the uh, assignments they got, and things are being said about future assignments and what happens when the shift takes place and with Erdan getting the U- U.S. and the U.N. positions, although the, the ambassador to the U.S. would only be for about a year because Derma will stay till November, December, and then Gantz gets to appoint the ambassador when he comes into power next November and has already named who, who he will appoint. Uh, do you think that someone has to step in and put an end to all this, uh, uh, all these positions that are either being filled and or created in order to satisfy people? Can the court step in? Can Israel uh, have a uh, 
have a, a proposal on one of their ballots to limit the number of cabinet members that there can be in a government? Do you, do you think that something actually has to happen now to stem the tide going forward? Because if they're they're now at, at 36, you know, they, they could be at 46 in a week from now if they, if they have uh, the ability to do whatever they want in this regard. Well, there are limits, and there was legislation of that kind, and there are courts have ruled about uh, certain, you know, uh, trying to negate some of the moves in the past as well. There have been big governments of 30-plus in the past. The the problem now is that the Supreme Court's on notice that if they, in fact, interfere, if they disrupt the agreements and the uh, and that were revised in view of the previous Supreme Court hearing uh, to a week ago, um, that that this government could fall apart, and then they'll go to elections, which show that Netanyahu would win a much bigger margin, and perhaps form a government alone. So there's, it's nobody's incentivized right now to have an election, except for those who love following elections in Israel. Someone posted yesterday that they are now going to have to get used to the fact that there's no election uh, jockeying and uh, and uh, campaigning to follow uh, for about two years. Right? For about two years, we had we had campaigns, we had uh, negotiations, and we had the possibilities of formations of government. It's about it's almost two years, if I'm not mistaken, that this is going. Well, they on. can they can be reassured that an election is coming. How soon it will be is the question. They may have a small will break. Will the government go the full 18 months with Netanyahu and then switch? A lot of people are suspicious of that, whether the switch will take place. But there's an added incentive because after the 18 months of Gantz as prime minister, then Bibi gets it for six more months and Gantz gets it for six more months if the government goes full term. The average government lasts two and a half years. Unbelievable. What do you think of Rafi Peretz leaving Yamina? Well, it was surprising because people thought others might uh, split with it, and there are some who feel that uh, they uh, Bennett and others overplayed their hand, others that it was never in the cards for them to get it. I think that Netanyahu wanted them at some point, although the relationship, as you know, has been tense at times, and uh, Shaked was, is quite popular, but they've decided to go into the opposition. So you have, just think about the opposition of Lieberman, the joint Arab list, the other half of blue and white, and Yamina. Right. Those meetings of the opposition are going to be very interesting. <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to ac- is the leader. They're not going to accomplish the much. They're not going to accomplish much. I don't think. <laughs> uh, they might kill each other in meetings, but uh, it's, I don't see also how they can come up with common positions. And I'm trying to think if uh, if in other unity governments that type of thing has happened as drastically as this before where the opposition was the type of makeup you just described. I'd have to, I guess, go back to the uh, Rabin Paris arrangements and and see if that ever, uh, if there ever yeah, was. Yeah, but then a... you had a, a big, you had Likud as the leader of the opposition. Right. Have, uh, Labor was the leader of the opposition when, you know, Labor had, uh, they only had two or three, you have two seats in the government because only two ministers moved over. I think they had three altogether and one didn't move into the coalition so very strange very interesting uh have they reopened the ben Gurion airport yet they haven't fully reopened ben Gurion. there aren't flights uh, coming in and out and they're still wrestling with how you deal with the quarantining you know they've closed the hotels where people were being quarantined and people are now being told they have to go home to to uh for a two-week period and and they do monitor it um, but They're talking about a full reopening by June 1st. Is that possible? That's everything's possible. Yeah, they're moving quickly in Israel on the on the openings of businesses and other things. Like people I speak to tell me, 
it's starting to come back to normal. It's nowhere near what it was, and there are still people uh, staying home. Uh, but certain uh, less essential businesses are starting to open, and uh, you know they are they are moving ahead. And if you noticed, I think there were only four or five new cases yesterday. Um, there are still a lot of cases that are open. They have about a 21, 21%, I think, have been fully recovered. Um, but, the, the, you know, their death rate is 1.5%, which is very low compared to the U.S. and other countries. Um, so they, you know, they, they took early steps. They, they did it well. And God willing, all the research is going to produce something. There are six drugs under trial around the world that could be could be effective it's funny on the restrictions is exactly the opposite of here you know the the quote-unquote socialist country is uh is opening up and uh you know in schools as you just said and uh and swimming pools and public facilities and restaurants are all opening by the end of the month and here you know the the capitalist you know the country of democracy and freedom uh it's the biggest issue how things according to uh, many people is just not opening quickly enough and giving people an opportunity to get back into business to open their businesses and with you know guidelines and restrictions to at least try to make a living but it's it's, it's funny how but, it's but like, israel's under you know people are restricted and you, but you see that they tend to follow rules more more closely with people wearing masks. Right. I ask friends in Israel, I speak to government officials, whether everybody's wearing masks around, and he said the vast majority here, when I see people on the street and stuff, they're not wearing masks uh, in right. the same numbers anymore. That's and it's a mistake. They have to continue. If we want to avoid a second round or diminish a second round, then you have to. And Israel is preparing and anticipating that there could be a spike now after people now getting together more socially and being out, or uh, certainly in the September-October period that there could be um, what they call the second round. It's interesting on the vaccine because there are officials here uh, who are who are warning us that, you know, don't, don't think this is going to happen by the beginning of 2021. Sometimes these vaccines take a long time. But I, I would think with the concerted effort from Israel and other places uh you know and and, and with the with the uh the the desperate the desperation that people are now researching and uh and trying to develop a vaccine if it's going to happen i would think it would happen sooner rather than later if in fact there you know there can be a vaccine well they are fast tracking and the fda is giving approvals which would have taken very long time for those that are are hopeful and we're seeing some real progress on the stem cell treatment, which is for severe cases, but helps in respiratory cases, that's moving ahead in Israel very seriously. Uh, and we've seen all the different companies that are doing what's in it. One of the interesting things is that Iranian hackers have targeted companies that are, including Gilad Sciences, that are uh, working on developing uh, drugs. So it's almost as if they want to try and prevent it, although they're paying a very heavy price in, in Iran with the number of dead and supposedly an increase again. The the economy is in full fall because it, it started before with the fall of the price of oil and then exacerbated by um, the all the reaction and then the impact, economic impact of, of the virus. Uh, that uh, you would think that they would do everything possible to make sure that there's a cure and that they would, um, you know, be be in the forefront of efforts to support that. They even said in some discussions, you know, that if the Zionist state comes up with it, some said we'll never take it, but others ruled that, yes, they could um, 
they could have, in fact, do it. But the tensions between Iran and the U.S., you know, they are playing their games there, um, doing uh, all sorts of things that, uh, you know, can, both in the region and beyond the region. And the, you know, the debate is now raging. And this is a very important issue that the 13-year-old embargo on Iran's purchase of weapons, and these include, does not buying peace shooters, you're talking about airplanes, tanks, other advanced equipment, expires in October. The Russians said this week that they are going to close the door on any U.S. embargo or a veto uh, and would exercise a veto at the U.N. So the U.S. has to look now for other means. Even some of the Europeans don't want to see this expire. Uh, the, the Iranians are celebrating today, Quds Day, which is always last Friday in Ramadan. And they, I mean, they didn't have the public manifestations this year, but they are continuing. And we see how the, the Financial Action Task Force is taking action finally and, and raised the status of Iran from the gray list to the blacklist, which only has North Korea on it, to be subject to uh, sanctions. And, and um, Secretary Pompeo spoke about the aggressiveness, the attacks um, from Iran and, and the need to, to mobilize countries to join in the efforts to um, bypass the Russian and Chinese uh, th- uh, threat and vetoes. But if you see that they're, uh, they, they now are rationing gasoline uh, and they are making people use natural gas because they want to export the gas as much as possible. They sell it to, they, they just sent big shipments of oil yesterday to Venezuela. They also give to Syria on loan because they can't sell it. So they give their oil in order to reinforce their position uh, in Syria and elsewhere. But their economic conditions, its its I think the real is now 140000 to the dollar, wow. even though the official rate is 42000 And next year they knock off those four zeros. It's going to be devastating. And on top of that, I just looked because of what you said regarding their uh, the coronavirus situation, Iran. I just looked at their graph, and they're they're clearly in a in a rebound, mean, meaning a bad rebound. You know, going back up, the curve going back up. I don't know how their healthcare system there dealt with the uh, dealt with it the first time around. The numbers were astounding. The first, and again, I know that not all this information is accurate because it's Iran, but still, just based on what I'm looking at, uh, the numbers were astounding. I don't know how their healthcare system could withstand the uh, the numbers that they're suffering from now. They're not withstanding it, and, and as uh, we saw the pictures by satellite of mass graves, the numbers they're giving are clearly not true, uh, but they don't stop their provocations, especially in, in, the, in the Gulf and, and in uh, Syria, and the reports of them withdrawing from Syria are not likely true. They may be repositioning, but we see that they're not going to give that up because it's key to their Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Mediterranean access, the Shiite Crescent, and it's key for their efforts to, to be able to attack Israel from the Golan and to have the missiles there. As they, We know now that they are landing their planes at Russian Air Force Base near Latakia because Israel hit them on the Homs Air Force Base, and they know that they wouldn't attack the Russian base. And second, that, that they built an underground tunnel for the storage of the weapons and the missiles uh, that they're bringing in. Uh, Israel obviously knows about it. It's been made public that uh, they exist, but it's a reflection of the fact that they are investing and, and continue to provide Hezbollah, even that Hezbollah is stretched thinner uh, and having financial problems. But the U.S. is going to push for the snapback sanctions, and so far we have not seen the Europeans um, come to that. 
but it's you know the U.S. is key in this in this fight. Uh, unfortunately, we're not getting the support that we should. Wow. Um, back to Gilad Erdan for a moment. Has this ever been done before, where one person is representing Israel both in the U.S. and the U.N.? Oh yeah, Abe Eben in nineteen. He had both. <laughs> he had both at the same time. Yeah, but at that time it was very different. I mean, the intensity of involvement wasn't the same. And now the UN, and especially given that the annexation issue is likely to come up and will be heavily debated, I mean, they're already condemning it at the UN. Um, and by the way, Guterres at the UN, the Secretary General, called this week for disarming Hezbollah. He was critical of some of the Israeli attacks over Lebanese soil, but was very critical in, in the first time that I know of where they made that kind of a demand. Um, he also condemned uh, hate speech in another uh, move, which we criticize the UN all the time. When they do something good, we should be mocked at that, too. Right. But the, the, um, you know, the UN will obviously be battleground on, on the issue of annexation and other issues. Uh, so having somebody there full-time will be important. Erdogan is a very capable person. He's very smart. But in reality, it will be a maximum of a year that he'll hold both posts because, uh, as I said, Erdogan, um, the current ambassador, Derma, will be here through December, November or December. And then the... Um, so he will talk, take over then, and the new ambassador gets appointed in uh, November. So for about a year, he'll have the job of both, and then otherwise he'll be at the U.N. And Ambassador Danone leaves the U.N. when? In the next yeah. few weeks? He, in the next month, yeah. He has, he's going home, I guess, during what, the summer. What do you think of the poll that, um, and I guess they did this because of the, um, uh, you know, commemorating the... Um, well, I forgot what they call it, you know, when they commemorate the terrible day of Israel's founding. Nakba Day. Thank you. Uh, the poll of Pal- that, there, that, that, that there's overwhelming Palestinian support for a third intifada. There is. And, uh, I mean, there are a lot of contradictory polls that, that come out. Right now, Palestinians are frustrated because of the, you know, the effect of and the economic isolation, the effect of the measures taken against the um the virus, but these polls are pretty consistent. I mean, we see that uh, two thirds generally will go back to violence, would would uh, call for things. But when uh, we look at East Jerusalemites in the latest poll, say they would prefer to be citizens of the Palestinian state. Uh, those in, in the northern areas are saying they want to be part of Israel, like Umar Fahum, all these areas don't want to go to a Palestinian state. So there, there are contradictory findings and, and uh, discoveries, and the fact is that we see much greater integration. People noticed it because during the, the going into the hospitals, the pharmacies, everything where you see Israeli Arabs fully integrated, uh, and in fact, playing, I think the majority of pharmacists in Israel are Israeli Arabs, especially women, that the, um, you know, there are contradictory trends, but, but the incitement, the continuing incitement, and now there's a big issue because, uh, again, the Israeli banks, Israel is pressuring banks not to give money and not to allow transactions for families of terrorists who are getting money from the Palestinian Authority. And the Palestinian Authority, despite the threats to cut off all the aid and everything else, is continuing and saying that they will continue. And what they've done is to remove the line from the monthly budget, which indicated how much they were giving to the pay-to-slave families. And, and they've just integrated it into other ministries, so it's harder to track. But the percentage is still clear, and they keep defiantly announcing that they're going to continue to pay this money.
Uh, the Pompeo visit, what can you tell us about his visit to Israel? Uh, he was there for a day. Uh, I don't think annexation um, occupied that much of the time. I think China was much bigger issue because it is a very sensitive issue with the administration, with the president. And Israel has signed some deals with China, including the Haifa port. And this is uh, their U.S. has been warning them about it because they say you can't trust them and they they will use it for intelligence. And American ships, uh, military ships, may not come there if you do it. So it's under review by Israel, and it puts Israel in a very difficult dilemma because they have a lot of trade with China. You can't ignore it. It's a, it's a very important market. It's a, especially with a high tech industry. There are a lot of close relationships. And at the same time, they don't want to do anything that alienates. U.S. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize there's that many things on the agenda. Um, this terrible episode with Amit Ben Yigal. Um, not only uh, do we mourn the loss of the first soldier to be killed this year uh, in active duty, but in addition to that, uh, I'm sure you read that he was the only son of his father. He had half uh, siblings, but it was the only son of his father and had needed special permission to go to the army. And I think that shed some light again on the sacrifice that uh, that soldiers. And uh, soldiers who are alone children and their parents uh, make in order for them to fulfill their dream of defending the state of Israel. And why, when Yom Atzmut was celebrating yesterday, it's May 14th, as you know, um, the people not take it for granted that we that we do celebrate, but and remember um, when we had uh, Yom Atzmut a couple weeks ago and Yom Azikaron right before it. You know, 24,000 people gave their lives, more than 3,000 dead from terrorist attacks, that we not take it for granted, that we not take Israel for granted. The people now, I think for many people who have not been able to visit for so long or who had planned trips for now, the summer, and they can't go, are beginning to realize that, you know, this is not just something you're not taking a taxi and going downtown. That this, what a privilege it is, what a schuss we have to have Israel, to be able to go there, to, to celebrate Yerushalayim. To look to Israel for the the cure for for the world's ills, and uh, and the sacrifice. You know, they say that that Yom, uh, uh, Yom Hashoah reminds us of the price we pay for not having a state, and Yom Hazikaron reminds us the price we pay to have a state. Right. And that's I agree. This is a tragic case that he was killed uh, with a rock or brick. Uh, I watched some of the pictures of the movies of the Shiva. It was heartbreaking. And I think uh, you're absolutely right that people think about it as we look at the, you know, all the challenges around the world and the challenges to Israel. We still see you know, what's going on in, in, uh, around Israel, but both in Gaza and in the north, and the attempts worldwide to, to blame Israel for the, and the rise of anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism, blaming both Jews and Israel for the... Uh, for the virus and for all sorts of other manufactured uh, things. Yeah. But when remember a, what life would be like. What think about what life would be like if we didn't have it. And when a parent has to authorize, when a child wants to go into combat, mm-hmm. into a combat unit, it, it, it's a concept none of us can even wrap our heads around. And in Israel, it's all too common. And I would bet. In most cases, when that young man or woman is is begging their parents, I would bet they usually relent and and sign that agreement. Well, they often leave it to the kids. I think that was the case here. Um, Obviously, a father had to have reservations when it's an only son. That's the law in Israel. But he 
and by all accounts, a very courageous and remarkable young man. Yeah, no question about it. What do you make of this this Jew list that was asked for in the city of Columbia, Ukraine? Shows that some things don't change, that the anti-Semitism in the Ukraine, to which so many tens of thousands, maybe more, go each year, Jews who go there each year for various celebrations to think about it. Mm. And um, we'll have to see how the government, uh, the government obviously has been acting. You have a president, prime minister who are Jewish and have been obviously sensitive to to anti-Semitic manifestations. But people don't know what goes on on a local level. We have Jews who are in prisons in several parts in, in Ukraine, and efforts to, to secure their release when the charges are spurious uh, have not been successful. You don't read about those things. You read about the, you know certain celebrations and events that take place there, but this is a, a, a very important part of the story as well. Wow. Uh, did they make it clear why they were asking for the list? Was it coronavirus related, or they just they just asked without an explanation? Yes. So uh, I, I do not know the reason if there is one. Um. Yeah, but it, and one other thing I read that the uh, speaking of anti-Semitism, I didn't realize that actual anti-Semitic uh, incidents in this country have gone up the way they have. And I thought, frankly, that with <laughs> coronavirus and there being you know, more isolation, etc., that if anything, we'd see a downward trend. But as you told us uh, over the last couple of weeks, that's not the case. And I didn't realize that the, num- the numbers actually bear it out. That I mean, w- would we say it's it's the worst in decades now in the U.S. in terms of blatant anti-Semitic incidents? I think 2019 was more than the three decades before combined. Wow. That the and a lot of this is online. A lot of this is, but but people shouldn't dismiss it because it it, it, it is equally dangerous. And and when maybe COVID lifts. You know, we'll see more physical manifestations, but we're seeing them now. We've seen attacks on individuals. We've seen attacks on uh, synagogues and desecrations and cemeteries. And this is it is not abated that uh, people continue to engage in these attacks. Obviously, during the shutdown, it was it was harder for them to carry it out. But anti-Semitism is uh, and if you is rife. And if you look at the statistics in places like Canada, I think there was a 27 percent increase in Germany, 17 percent increase Um but this is year after year, and remember, this, it's been going up for the last couple of years. So this, the statistics are, are of great concern about um, uh, in, in globally and in the United States. Um, but the uh, but there was also good news we should note, and that is that the Gallup poll shows that um, you know the youngest age groups tend to be the least supportive of Israel. But as those people get older. Huh. Yeah, um, and we know that, for instance, eighteen-year-olds in nineteen ninety-seven, I think thirty-six percent supported Israel. Today, it's at sixty-one percent, and there is a consistent pattern that support for Israel ranges in the between sixty seventy percent, and that is consistently, and it's happening now in the latest uh, in the latest polls. Do well. you do you think it's because generally people, as they get older, become a little bit more conservative in their thinking, and that would lead more toward Israel? Or you don't think that's anything to do with it? Hopefully, it becomes they because it becomes smarter, <laughs> and more educated, and and you know, young people rebel. Israel's a way of of because of the close relationship. If you want to express dissatisfaction with your own government or with others, you can uh, do it by expressing it against Israel. We've had that in other countries as well. We've seen it. But when you look at, you know, people always focus on the divisions, but we had a resolution in Congress 
this week where 262 members of the House and I think 70 members in the Senate uh, came out against the politicization of the of the court and against the singling out of Israel and saying that they don't have jurisdiction. And last week we had 90 percent supporting extension of the arms embargo. So, you know, not everything is bleak and there is they do come are able to agree on certain things that are are essential um, and that the American people essentially still remain supportive. Uh, and even where there is an increase in support for, let's say, the Palestinians, it doesn't necessarily mean a diminution in support for Israel. All right. Finally, Malcolm, as we mentioned, uh, next Friday, I'm Yerushalayim. Then after that, Shavuot. That's why we're going to uh, not speak for a couple of weeks. Uh, do you remember where you were on the 28th of, uh, of um, Sivan back in 1967? 28th of ER back in 1967? Yes, I know. I was working very hard to get an aid package for Israel, and um, uh, I had taken off from graduate school and everything to work for three months before uh, the war, uh, and and I, I left the day after the war to Israel. Wow! And uh, was able to see things. I was in Sinai where you could still see the tanks smoldering, but I, I remember very well where I was and what I was doing. Um, when that message came across, our bias be which those young people who today don't don't know what we're referring to, but I don't think anybody who was alive at that time doesn't get a chill and and remember that incredible incredible moment in the iconic picture that emerged from it. And uh, it's something we shouldn't take for granted. You mentioned moments ago about uh, not taking Israel for granted, the fact that we can visit and be in Jerusalem and continue to watch Jerusalem grow and uh, its communities grow, uh, and to be the center of the spiritual existence of the world at this point is pretty remarkable, and we shouldn't take that for granted as well. Absolutely, and also we passed this week uh, the Never Again Holocaust Education Act, which doesn't get much publicity when good things happen, but that was a a very positive uh, development, something people have worked on for a long time, and um, congratulate the members of Congress. Congressman Maloney, who played a, a very important role in this oh. for a long time. Glad to hear that. And the uh, sponsors uh, all deserve credit, and people should write them and thank them because it's uh, it gives several million dollars. And at a time when we see the increase in anti-Semitism, having more Holocaust education is um, you know is very important. I wish you a Chag Sameach and a Shabbat Shalom, and I thank you. And uh, we will speak in a couple of weeks. And you and everybody should stay safe. Amen they should that. be upbeat. They should not try to rush things. We have to be very careful. Don't violate the rules. I know the temptations are very great, but the cost could be much greater. Listen to the Ramon and listen to everybody. And even though there were things sent out to alert synagogues how to reopen, you know, when the time comes, it's for when the time comes. Too many people are interpreting it as a license for now. It is not. And we are not over it. And we have to be very careful for the our own health, the health of our communities, which have suffered so much. So please, I urge everybody to be careful, be safe, and be smart. Well said and much appreciated. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, right here at JM in the AM. Reminder, one week from today, our Yom Yerushalayim special. Around this time next week, we'll be... Uh, starting to present the uh, sounds of 1967. Don't miss it. Two weeks from today is the holiday of Shavuot. So our next uh, weekly update will be Please God on the 5th of June. 
the 5th of June, that Friday morning.